Hey there, Yaag here. Before we get to today's episode, I would like to discuss with you about a new podcast that I've started to listen, which is part of the HubSpot Podcast Network. It's called I Digress, hosted by Troy Sandage. I Digress talks about how you can eliminate complexity, complications, and confusion and create clarity in your business to achieve scalable and sustainable success. In fact, one of the recent episodes that I really got excited about was the one which discusses marketing and sales infrastructure for sustainable business growth. If this topic interests you, I would urge you to listen to I Digress wherever you get your podcasts. By the way, this podcast is also brought to you by Avoma, the number one meeting lifecycle assistant. Every meeting has a life cycle. The set of things that you do before the meeting, during the meeting, and after the meeting. What if there was an AI assistant that could automate all your low-value tasks and let you focus on the things that really matter to you and keep you productive? That's what Avoma does for you. To learn more, check out www.avoma.com. And now, to our show. Welcome to the ABM Conversations Podcast, the number one podcast for B2B marketers wanting to explore timeless account-based marketing strategies to drive revenue, customer engagement, retention, and everything that makes sense to both marketers and sales folks. No more fluff, no more vanity metrics, live from India, made for the world. Hello and welcome to another brand new episode of the ABM Conversations podcast. And this is me, your host, Yag. In today's episode, we are going to get insights on two super interesting topics that are connected to each other, team selling and customer retention. At the outset, it seems like selling is one function and retention is another. But when you have someone who looks at things from a CX ops lens, it's all connected. So today we have with us Chris Rudigrab, the co-founder and CEO at Sendozo. He is one of the pioneers in creating the corporate gifting category. With more than a decade of sales experience, Chris has built a successful company from the ground up. He has made a name for himself in the industry by quite literally finding pain points and coming up with solutions for them. So today he'll be sharing with us his insights on CX ops, team selling and customer retention. So without any further ado, Chris, welcome to the show. I'm so happy to have you here. Yeah, thank you so much for having me, Yag. I'm excited to be here and uh, excited to, to chat with you today. Absolutely. Right. Let's get started. First things first, uh, you know, I wanted to share my appreciation for some of your tactical brand investments. I still remember the early days at Sendoso where you used to have about seven or eight people in your conference booths while others had three or four people. It gave a sense of like, you know, it's a big company. But in reality, you had your entire company there. So that's a very interesting approach and probably a thoughtful investment. So let's start with your go-to-market approach. Most people understand what product market fit is, but you often talk about go-to-market fit. So what is go-to-market fit? How is it different from PMF? And most importantly, how do you gauge go-to-market fit? 
Yeah, I think that's a great topic to start on. I'll take one quick step back and just introduce uh, the company and like the, our size and stage, just so that there's a little bit more context. So Sendoso, we are a sending platform helping other companies send out corporate gifts, direct mail, swag, handwritten notes, you name it, we can send it. It's part software, part marketplace of gift options and part fulfillment. And I started the company about five years ago. Since then, we have about 500 employees We've raised about $150 million in funding, and we work primarily with sales, marketing, customer success, and HR teams around the world. So quick introduction, just so you get, uh, people can see the breadth of scale that we've had in the last bunch of years. So to your question on go-to-market fit, and I, I like using that word because I think people uh, overemphasize product market fit. And I think that those are separated in terms of how you have to think about it. And so when I think of product market fit, I ultimately think of the very early days when you're trying to figure out if people will use your product. And in some cases, you give it away for free. You're giving them like a, kind of an unlimited trial, maybe sometimes you're you're the founder and you're trying to say, hey, how much would you pay for this? Or you even charge for it in the early days. And ultimately, you're trying to see if people will actually use it. And I think that's extremely important. And that's kind of the first step in this. But I think what, what often happens is some of the founders selling the product uh, in the very early days gives you some false positives that you're ready for scale. And I think what really needs to happen is this next step, which is go-to-market fit, which is, do you have a go-to-market team or are some salespeople that can prove that complete strangers can sell your product too. And I think that's something that is oftentimes overlooked by the fact that founders are selling it. Hey, we just closed a million dollars and by me and my two and my founder. And so let's, let's go raise money and blow this up. And that's really where I think in the early days, what we did was we knew as the founders, we could sell this. We were so overly passionate about solving this problem. But what we then really wanted to do is prove that we could get a couple strangers in. So we hired two SDRs and two AEs and said, hey, go figure it out. Go go sell this. And once they you know, crushed their quota and, you know, was selling millions in ARR, you know, we really realized that we could pour more fuel on the fire and go raise sizable next funding round. Right. That's amazing. You know, uh, because you mentioned this, I'm also excited to ask you this. Like generally, when you are doing founder-led sales, you know, you're passionate about the product and you know end-to-end of what it is. So what are some of the challenges when you go from founder-led to having your first sales hire, like where does the gap lie in and what did you try to fix in that period? Yeah. So I think one, there's a potential issue where there's micromanagement amongst the founders too, saying like, Hey, I'm going <laughs> right. to sit on this call with you. And so you're, you're kind of not really jumping all the way in. You're kind of just, you're not giving full trust. So I think number one is just turn over the sales motion to a couple of new people and let them really go at it. I think it's a really good proof point. And I think um, hopefully you'll bring on some people that know how to, to do sales in the sense of they're a different skill set for uh, maybe an early AE at a you know a seed stage company that is fine with building their own lead lists and, and kind of uh, setting up being the Salesforce admin while also prospecting, while also closing deals, while being vague in terms of customer case studies or you know product related questions because there's so many moving parts. And so I think it's important when you're hiring for that role, you really find someone who's knows that they're what challenge they're going into uh, versus maybe a salesperson you're hiring who's you know salesperson number 50 at a, another company and they're just not skilled in the very early early stage sales right right and since both you and your co-founder come from a sales background i'm assuming 
it would have relatively helped because you've been in that shoes. Yeah, so it definitely helped us with our initial founder-led selling. Like we quick, we even before we launched our product was selling a slide deck and getting customers signing up. And so we were not scared to go talk to customers and to go close deals. And so it definitely helped us from the product market fit stage, get customers and get proof points. And, you know, I think we uh, were also cognizant of some of the things we needed to invest in. Um, in the early days to to scale the company, I think uh, we also wanted to make sure that there is the, the right sales tools, uh, sales engagement tools, the right CRM and, and these things in place so that the sales team could be successful. I think some founders might skew away from in, investing in sales tech tools because they're not uh, aware of that the market opportunity and, and maybe want to bootstrap longer. But I think there's a lot of sales tech tools that can really amplify your, your success in the early days. Right, right. And you talk of sales tech tools, you know, that uh, really makes me ask this, like you're one of those people who's generally very vocal about team selling as the way to go. Mm -hmm. And uh, that that also requires a good amount of sales infrastructure in terms of tech. So for starters, you know, if you can share this for the benefit of everyone listening here, what is team selling? How does it work? And what is the kind of infra that a company needs to do that? Yeah, so I bucket team selling into really four categories. So the first one I bucketed into is advisor investor selling. So how do you leverage your advisor investors to sell with you and the team? And I'll get into each of these. Uh, So the second one is partner selling, really leveraging partners to co-sell. The third is exec selling. So really having your executive team and your VPs able to help sell. And then the last is customer selling. So getting into each of these, when I think about advisor investor selling, it's how do you uh, take this advisor network that a lot of founders put together in the early days or your angel investors and work with them? And so we use a tool called Cabal. It helps us onboard and group advisors. It helps us reach out and ask for introductions to target accounts. It really allows centralized visibility for our go-to-market teams to see these advisors, interact with these advisors. And then ultimately, we have a, a Salesforce process where we're making sure that we're tracking the process and workflow for this. And, you know, I think the the biggest thing that I think uh, start founders can do well is they can find advisors and investors. But I think ultimately, it's how do you um, really mobilize them to to help drive the sales process. And so that is one area that I think is low hanging fruit that we've done a really good job on. And we've actually built a pretty large sizable advisor group to help us with this kind of team selling. Right, right. And, uh, you know, um, from whatever you explained, it sounds like uh, it makes sense for, say, mid-market and enterprise level companies. But um, how do startups and SMBs go about this? Uh, assuming that it might not make sense for them to invest on multiple tools uh, you know, at the stage that they are in. Yeah. So I think with this, it's really the easiest thing you can do is start with spreadsheets, you know, you can, or Google docs and share Google docs with your advisors and train uh, your team. Training can be, you know, free-ish in terms of if if you're training your sales team on how to do these things and create a process that's repeatable versus I think sometimes in the early days, sales people can go rogue and just do what they want. Or or, uh, in this case, you're actively pushing them to use your advisors and investors to sell with them. Right. Um, from, a, from a partner selling perspective, again, there's a lots of tools here, CoSell, Crossbeam, ShareWork. We, uh, there's a handful here too that allow for us to see overlaps in our partners and see customers that are customers of theirs, but prospects of ours and vice versa. And so we leverage our some of those softwares I mentioned to have our sales team co-selling with 
sales, CSMs, et cetera, at our partner companies. And so these could be mostly companies that we've partnered with because we have an integration with them or there's some other strategic partnership. And then we have, you know, a, a workflow to, you know, rinse and repeat and do this quite frequently. Right, right. Partner management is an entirely, you know, beast of its own. So, uh, you know, mm-hmm. it, it takes companies to get ready towards that direction. It's it's not just like, you know, I have a product today and I can get partner ready tomorrow. It doesn't work like that. I've experienced that firsthand. Yeah, I agree. And I think the other, uh, you know, mishap sometimes is that you'll have a partner team that is some, somewhat isolated from the account executive team or the partner teams doing things on their own. And I think the most important thing you can do is really bring together the partnerships team and, and the account executive team and, you know, the SDRs and the account managers to really make sure that everyone is partner selling, not just the partnerships team. And so we've seen some good success with that as well. Right, right. So as a next jump off point, you know, let's talk a little bit about retention. Mm-hmm. Something that is uh, really worth talking about, Sendoso, is the net dollar retention in your mid-market category, which is almost like 120%. And unfortunately, stories like this don't get enough coverage in comparison to the growth and acquisition stories. So feel free to deep dive on this. Like what are some of the changes, maybe three to five changes that you made at Sendoso to improve your retention from the early days? So one of the things we did in the early days uh, was we had CSMs that managed the entire post sales. So this was onboarding, support, success, and uh, account expansion and renewals. And we, I think that's pretty common in the early days for startups because you don't have enough headcount. Or, or uh, But pretty quickly, we realized that we wanted to split some of that out. And so now we have an account management team, a support team, and a customer success team, as well as an onboarding team. And these specialized roles has helped our customers become way more successful. Uh, and so I think that Sometimes companies wait too long to kind of divide and specialize. Uh, So I think strategically finding when that right point is can help uh, with retention because uh, you can really specialize in these key areas. Um, Another thing is investing early on in the software that can help with understanding, you know, usage of your, for your customers and, and ensuring the correct usage. So I think that uh, some companies will let the CSMs kind of dictate the conversation and are hoping that the CSM can track sentiment and understand if customers are at risk. But the best way to see success and or at risk customers that you can help is through data. And so really tracking product usage and and other metrics is, is really important and something to invest in in the early days. Right, right. And, uh, you know, yeah, uh, because you mentioned a few things about, uh, you know, um, having separate people focused on separate areas in your CSM, like, can you also talk us through a little bit about how is your um, customer success team structured? Yeah, so we have uh, a, our customer success team, we have SMB, kind of mid-market and enterprise CSMs, um, and they're focused um, ultimately on making the customer uh, successful, driving uh, usage and adoption. Uh, We, as part of the account team, as I alluded to, we now have an implementation onboarding team that will get the customer set up quick and see quick time to value. They will then hand it off to the customer success manager and the account manager who's working to help our customer find expansion opportunities and also help with renewal. And then we have a separate support team that will help with any support related issues and streamline that function as well. With that, let me take a moment to thank our sponsors, HubSpot. In one of our recent episodes, we talked about customer-led growth, where 
customer relationships truly become the foundation of a successful business model. At the heart of this model is a true understanding of what makes customers tick, which is where the HubSpot CRM platform can be your greatest asset. With new features dedicated to helping your sales teams improve your customer experience, HubSpot is on a mission to help millions of companies grow better starting with your CRM platform. Get real-time insight into your calls and call analysis. And with more visibility into customer conversations, coaching and customer feedback becomes that much more easier. Plus, with easy share meeting links, customers can see availability and book meetings with you, all from the HubSpot platform, which cuts out the what time works for you black hole conversation. Learn more about how you can transform your customer experience with the HubSpot CRM platform at HubSpot.com. So is, is the product adoption and success in the same bucket as to, you know, somebody who is doing the upselling? No. So in the early days, yes. The customer success team was focused on adoption and expansion and renewals. But now we've segmented that out. So the CSM is just focused on adoption and the account management team is focused on expansion and renewals. Right, right. So what would you say is the right time for, say, any company to go from, say, a broad customer success team to specific roles? Is there a revenue ballpark or any other parameter that you would look at? Um, I'd say for us, it was around, we had about 50 employees. And I'd say really, it's, I'd say the sooner the better, to be honest. And you have to have a, a big enough book of business where it makes sense. Right. But and that could be based on revenue or it could be based on just the number of customers. But I think uh, oftentimes it's a, a lagging priority. Um, and then uh, once you, you do commit to it, you'll see you know, the advantages. Right, right. You know, somewhere I read or heard that you hired a CX ops person quite early in Sendoso's journey. Not marketing ops, rev ops or success ops, but CX ops. So if you had to put it in simple terms, what does CX ops as a role mean? Like what does this person look into on a daily basis and what problem are they solving for? Yeah. So for us, really, we wanted someone to focus on software and tooling and enablement. So really, there's different tools that we want to make sure the anyone in the CX organization uses and making sure that, that they're, they're seeing success with that. Two, it's really focusing on the reporting and metrics and cross-department metrics too. Um, and so when I say cross-department, I'm looking at how is some of the stuff that CX is doing affecting other departments like our sales team, or we also you know have a team that focuses on warehouse logistics. Um, and then this uh, person was also the glue for some intra-team meetings as well, and really helping with some orchestration too. And I think that you know, sales ops is a very common role, marketing ops, very common role. But um, I think CX ops is somewhat of a lesser common role from what I've seen. And it's something that I think is is equally as important. Yeah, I've never heard of that uh, concept. Like, how did you even come off that? Because, you know, in a typical early stage, we are thinking of, say, uh, getting marketing ops, sales ops. And then at some point, we are thinking, okay, let's look at RevOps. And uh, where we are not just merging marketing and sales, we are thinking success is also part of it. But how did the idea of CX Ops come up? You know, because you were the first person that I actually heard this from. Yeah. So for us, the idea came about really because we saw that there was a lot of data we wanted to uncover. And so we wanted to put a specialist focus just on the data. There was also a lot of tools the team was using that we said, hey, we want to make sure that we are buying software for this team and we want to make sure they're successful with that software. 
And then we also wanted to show the importance of the customer, the CX org, and that, you know, if we're going to invest resources in ops for marketing and sales, why wouldn't we do that for the, the CX org? Right, right. Yeah, makes a lot of sense. I wish a lot of startups thought of it this way, and that's why it's become a model. So really, really appreciate you for that. All right. So um, with that, uh, we are coming to the next section of the podcast, which is more like a game show. We call it the rapid fire section. I'm going to shoot five lightning questions at you. The questions might be short. Your answers need not be. You can you know, speak your mind, whatever comes to you. And let me see if I can uh, put you on the spot. So are you ready for that? All right. Bring it on. <laughs> All right. So here's question number one. What do you think is the biggest challenge that sales teams are going to face in the next five to 10 years? Yeah, I think the biggest challenge is the mix of sales tech tools, whether it's tech tools, AI, or just the mix of new ways that selling will happen and adopting to those new ways and being agile and being open to this. And so I think that there's going to be a whole shift in the landscape of how technical you need to be as a, as a salesperson and how good at using software. Right, right. That makes a lot of sense. Right. So here's um, question number two. Using gift as an incentive to drive desired action versus using it as a thank you gesture. What's your style? I do both. I think you can surprise and delight people up front and uh, kind of build relationships through that. You can also use it as an incentive in certain things like attend this webinar and you get X or download this ebook and you get X. Or you can use it as a thank you. Hey, just had a meeting with somebody and I want to just say thank you and send a gift that way too. Gifting is a very strong way to engage with someone and, and build better rapport uh, throughout the entire sales process. Right, right. Absolutely. Right. So here's um, question number three. Most companies have about five to 10 advisors, but you guys seem to have hundreds. So what's the story behind that? Yeah. So I early on wanted to surround myself with a lot of smart people to help us as we you know, grew and scaled this company. And so I made a strategic decision to invest in advisors as a strategy early on and saved room on my cap table for that. And so um, as part of that, we've built, you know, 100-ish plus advisors that are helping with uh, a myriad of different things, whether it's knowledge sharing, whether it's uh, helping with uh, connecting the dots for recruiting or sales, being mentors to uh, my employees and being uh, helpful in, in, to me. And so uh, I think that some people will have a couple advisors. We just decided that this was part of our strategy to have a, a lot of advisors. And at any point, did you feel that, hey, there are lots of ideas from all corners, I don't know what to prioritize? Not necessarily. I think that, you know, uh, prioritization is probably one of the, the number one things you have to do as a founder and CEO. But if I could get more data points coming in from a lot of different angles, at least I have different points of view on things. Right, right. Absolutely. Love that answer. Right. So question number four, if you were to hop on a time machine, what would you change about your first entrepreneurial stint? So I actually, for my first entrepreneurial stint in college, I started a company and we actually put a fair amount of expenses on a credit card. And that was a bad mood because we had to pay back the credit card each month. And so I would definitely not use credit cards as, <laughs> right. a, as a means for uh, fundraising. It just put too much strain to pay back on the company in the early days. Right. I think that's solid advice. That makes sense. Right. So the final rapid fire question, 
you urge people to celebrate micro milestones is this a step towards building desired habits that will compound over time or what's the ideology behind this the ideology is that startups are hard and you have to have momentum to continue on the you know 10 year plus journey that it's going to take to have a sizable outcome and so in the early days there's a lot of roller coasters and it's hard it's hard and so it's easy to look past the small win whether it's hey i just booked a meeting today with a target account let's celebrate let's go after work and and grab a a beer and uh, or go out to dinner and celebrate and so i think the the goal there is if you celebrate more frequently you you mentally start to see a snowball of success and it makes some of the lows less low and it makes some of the highs even more high and uh, creating a culture of celebration in the early days is important because what you do in the early years is going to help dictate your culture for years to come and the type of people that you can attract. In the early days, I uh, wanted to create a culture of celebration and celebrating the small uh, wins, and we still do that today. Yeah, I really love this because uh, you know when you are a startup, uh, the idea of culture never really um, comes to mind until you are at least say about fifty people or uh, more than that. And uh, one fine day, you see that the culture is already formed. So I think that's fantastic. Not many people think through this, but I think that that makes a lot of sense. In fact, uh, Nirial spoke about this on the podcast some time back. You know, he called this as a minimum enjoyable action. to do mm-hmm. a set of things uh, in a way that you can continuously repeat and you enjoy the process so that you don't want to give up on that yeah i agree i like that yeah amazing so you hit all the rapid fire questions out of the park so congratulations on that that's Ooh. fantastic <laughs> thank you all right so i really loved this entire conversation where you touched upon different parts basically you know you spoke about uh, team selling customer retention cx ops and all of that so before i say my thank you and uh, let you go i want to ask you this is there a parting message that you would share with our audience today just to give you some context our audience are predominantly b2b saas marketers and sales people with about 5 plus years of experience around the world Yeah, I mean I think the one thing and it goes back to what I was saying is go celebrate something today. Think about one thing that you did today and tonight go out to dinner, go get a drink, go make a phone call and congratulate. So I think today's the day. Don't put it off and celebrate one thing today, something small and do that as much as you can. Get a habit of it. Absolutely love that. And uh, you know the best part is the last four or five uh, people I've had on the podcast almost everybody has said this the exact same way saying that today is the day. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> that's that's uh that's becoming a phenomenon I guess. I love it. Yeah, I think that's uh it's easy to put things off and so you got to prioritize and today's the day. Yeah, absolutely. And if the listeners of the podcast they want to uh, say connect with you, what's the best place to find you and what are the best reasons to uh, connect with you for? Yeah, so people if they want to hear more about Sendoso, you can go to sendoso.com. If you want to email me, I'm chris k r i s at sendoso.com. Or feel free to add me on LinkedIn, shoot me a message and would love to connect, grab coffee virtually. I uh, love networking. That's amazing. All right, so thank you so much Chris. I really enjoyed uh, the last 30 minutes or so with you. Uh, there are so much nuggets of wisdom that you shared with us. I think I have to go back and listen and re-listen a couple of times to get the most out of it, probably even spin out a blog out of this. So thank you so much for your time. You bet. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. And for the listeners, that's that from us in this episode and uh, until we connect with you the next time uh, with another guest and another topic. This is bye from me Yag. Have a good day and take care. 
Thanks for listening to the ABM Conversations Podcast. Make sure you subscribe and share your comments with us. We're constantly looking for your feedback, thoughts, and suggestions to make the show more relevant to you. 